uh, Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. And I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. Uh, that's on page 66 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Again, that's Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on top of the hill with the staff of God on my hand, in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Ur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Ur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial, and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and named it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, The Lord has sworn, The Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, thank you so much for being with us. Your presence here is, is an honor to us. It's an encouragement to us that, that we can be an encouragement to you. And our goal is for all of us to worship God together here and leave here ready to serve God throughout this week. And let's make sure that, that we give our all in worship to God now and give our all all throughout this week. How wonderful it is to have Cynthia and Sonia and Jordan with us uh, to worship together and to serve God together. Uh, we welcome you into the family and, and we, uh, you're an encouragement to us already. What an exciting announcement this morning. Uh, the opportunity to sacrifice for God is always something that not only is honorable and notable, but it's also something that simply makes us better people. The truth is the very core aspect of Christianity is that the Lord sacrificed His life for us to have salvation and then calls us to be willing to sacrifice ourselves in service to Him. Now this morning, the announcement at the beginning, of course, was the sacrifice of ourselves financially. Then, in just a moment, we will have another uh, announcement made, and it will be asking us how we could sacrifice ourselves in service over the next two years. We think about this, especially sacrificing our life in service. I want to remind you of the theme that we have somewhat adopted for this year, this year, the Lord as our banner. Now, of course, that's something we want every day in our life, not just for a year, but all of our life. But as we think about the Lord as our banner, let me first give you a brief story of introduction and then remind you of some of the things that we covered the first Sunday of this year. And then another very important time of the life of this congregation was recently when deacons were appointed and several deacons were added uh, to the ministries here. 
And so each of the very uh, important marks in the life of this congregation this year, we will strive to tie them back in the Scriptures to this concept of the Lord is our banner. Sir Michael Costa was in the 19th century a tremendous conductor. People would come simply to hear his practices. And as he had his orchestra there one day, another choir was in town and was going to practice with them. And so the room was just filled with his beautiful music of the orchestra and of the choir. And everyone was astonished when he immediately said, Stop! Stop! And he ceased the practice and he said, The piccolo! The piccolo! Where's the piccolo? The piccolo player had simply lost their place or paused to take a breath. I mean, after all, out of all of the volume... Who could miss a piccolo player? You know, there were probably others there that day that didn't notice the piccolo player was not playing at that moment. There might have been even great conductors that could have been in that audience that might not have noticed that. I'm sure there were many playing that day and others singing that day that didn't notice it. But you know, that's probably what made him such a great conductor of music. You know, to put the design of the church together, God is an awesome conductor, the perfect conductor. And then to continually place opportunities in the lives of every congregation around the world. And then to place people in those congregations with certain abilities and giving them the opportunities to fulfill those abilities in service to Him. Now please get this point. You can't find a congregation anywhere in the world where you can find one person in that congregation where you can say, God just failed to give them a place to serve. God just failed to give them an ability. God just failed to give them an opportunity. No, the great conductor in heaven, that His providence and His power is in everything upon this earth that is good and righteous. He has a place for every one of us to serve. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 12 and 18 where we're taught that He places us individually in the body just as it pleases Him. God's given you you to be active in the work of the Lord's church right here in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. And it's just the way God wants it as long as you and I are giving ourselves in service. But let's think, as we think about our place of service this morning, are we under the Lord's banner? Now, as we think about banners throughout history, we quickly identify that almost all soldiers have always marched under a banner. We think about in 9-11, the banner, and I use that somewhat in quotes, the banner that was lifted. You see, it was two days after 9-11, on 9-13, that a man named Frank, digging through the rubble for survivors, ran across the steel beams shaped in a cross that many of us have probably in the last couple of years, we've been to New York City, we've been to Ground Zero, and many of you here can honestly say, I've seen that cross. It's still erected today. And it served as a symbol that when Frank found it, he sat there and he cried for 20 minutes. He called other rescuers around and they began to cry. And they began to say, we have to lift this up. We have to show the nation that God is still on our side and that God can heal this nation. And so they erected it and there began to be prayer meetings around this cross. 
And it's not that the cross itself is holy. It's simply a banner. If you will, it was a reminder that there's someone in power. When soldiers have marched under banners, it was to remind them of someone in power and that they were so loyal to the cause under which they marched that they would give their life. It was a banner that they wanted to erect after a victory to say that this victory belongs to this cause or to this nation. The most reproduced photograph ever is that of Iwo Jima. Of those six soldiers that took a hundred pound flagpole and they erected old glory upon that after an event that for the first time in 5,000 years soldiers had erected another banner on Japanese soil. You see, it wasn't easy. 880 ships sailed from Hawaii with 110,000 Marines. And the cost was horrific. The Japanese had dug 1,500 rooms underground with 16 miles of tunnels in a 7.5-mile island that for 36 days would become the heaviest populated island the heaviest populated 7.5 miles in all of the world. Those flying over would see the Americans trying to fight an enemy that was underground, and their description would be, it looked like they were fighting the soil itself. The Japanese had no strategy for win for those that were there. They simply wanted a victory for the nation as itself, and they had a strategy that was just this. No survivors on that island. Their idea was we're going to send enough soldiers underground and each Japanese soldier will kill 10 Americans and we will have a victory. They told their soldiers there would be no return. One general wrote home and even told his wife, do not expect any survivors. I simply offer you that inside of history for this point. Oftentimes when banners have been erected, it's for a noble cause and it's after tremendous sacrifice. We just had a tremendous story read from us from the Scripture that's true. It's a story about a point in time whenever the children of Israel had just left Egypt. And they came upon their first attack. And God didn't tell them, I'm going to lead you to the land of, of Canaan, and I'm going to give it to you. And all you have to do is act like spoiled children. You don't have to do anything. I'll give you everything you want. You want food? I'll give it to you. You want water? I'll give it to you. You want to land over here? I'll give it to you. God says, no. I want to make you courageous people. I want to make you people with heart. I want to make you people that will sacrifice. I want to make you people that are worth something. People that won't do, people that want handouts, or people that do not find their place in life, and they do not find the greatest life that there is to live. And so God, as this first enemy approaches them, does not say, do nothing. Instead, He rallies the troops through Moses. Moses rallying the troops through Joshua says, let's get the men together. And even though they were raw, disciplined, oftentimes complainers, God would eventually sacrifice, willing to go before huge armies, knowing that God is on their side. Now, as we think about this, I want you to think with me. First, by going to Deuteronomy 25. Hold your finger here. We're coming right back to Exodus, the 17th chapter. 
Let's go to Deuteronomy 25 and let's see the attack that brought all of this on. What was read in Exodus 17 was what took place after the attack. Verse 17, remember that Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt? This is Deuteronomy 25 and verse 17. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary and did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Now, when we go back to Exodus, the 17th chapter, we put this together. First, it was look at the enemy. Look what they did. They attacked the rear ranks. They went for the stragglers. In other words, they were conniving. They were a shrewd type of enemy. We need to realize that we also have an enemy that would love to destroy us. He would love to destroy the cause of the church. He would love for you and I to not have an internal existence with the Lord. Friends, it's, that's cut and simple. Somebody says, oh, let's talk about something that makes us feel good. Let's talk about reality for a minute. There is one that is alive. He is powerful, and He is against our soul. Period. Now let's talk about something positive. Just as in Exodus 17, God has a plan in opposition to conquer and defeat the enemy. You and I have to decide simply which side we're going to be on. This morning, out of several lessons that you've already seen that we can draw from this text, let's draw out the simple lesson of involvement. Everyone doing their part. On the screen here, as we go back to Exodus 17, notice the individuals that are involved. And on your screen overhead, you see... Uh, I guess all of those, or at least some of those underlined. And let's just scan again real quickly to see that. You see as you go there in verse 9, Moses, Joshua, some chosen men. Look down a little further in the text and you see Moses, Aaron, and Hur. And we're not for sure who Hur is. He's mentioned first that relative of Miriam. And if that's the case, you have family. Each one had their place. Not that we know of. Can you imagine how Moses went and confronted Joshua? And can you imagine the look on Joshua's face at first? And can you imagine how Moses probably, maybe he patted him on the shoulder, maybe he gave him a firm handshake? I don't know what he did to convince this man that with God on his side that he can do that. Moses did his part. He convinced Joshua. What did Joshua do? Joshua did his part. He went out and chose men. Men that have ever battled before? No. These were oppressed slaves that have just run from a pharaoh. Now they're to go against a powerful enemy. Did they do their part? Yes. Now, if you and I would have just been an observer that day, perhaps of another nation just peeking over the hillside, we probably would have never noticed that up on the hill were three others. Were they doing their part? Now, please note this, because many of you here will fall into line with one of these individuals. You see, the three up on the hillside, well, there's Moses. What were they gathered there to do? To pray? 
perhaps? To call upon the power of God, realizing that they could not win this victory without God? Definitely. But what in the world were Aaron and her to do? I just wonder if they didn't start out that morning thinking to themselves, I guess we're just kind of observers. There's not really much we can do today. Moses just asked us to go on the hillside with him, so we will do God's plan. We'll go on the hillside with Moses. Moses, what are you going to do? Oh, I have to lift the rod to God. Why, Moses? That's the plan. Whew, my arms are getting tired. And Joshua and his men start being defeated. Moses, Moses, did you see that? We're starting to lose. We're starting to lose. Wow, look at that. We're winning again. That's amazing. My arms are getting tired. Moses, Moses, it's happening again. It's happening again. We're losing again. Can you imagine the dialogue? Moses had to say, guys, I can't hold my arms up much longer. But the battle's not over. What are we going to do? Let's get this rock. Let's each get on each side. Let's support him in this work. have to give a attaboy to Joshua. He never led a battle before and he went against an army with men that were not trained. I say Joshua did a great job, but he couldn't have done it without those men that were untrained, that were willing to put their faith in God and go into that battle. But we see from the story that they couldn't have done it without Moses. And we see also from the story that Moses couldn't have done it without the two on his side supporting him. And then the truth be known, we see that none of this could happen without God Almighty. And what do we learn? We learn from this that everybody had a place. And the truth is, it's not just those mentioned in the story. It's all the ones that aren't mentioned in the story. Who was looking after those men's children that were out fighting? Who was looking after those men's parents that were sick and elderly? Who was going to cook supper? And who was going to be ready to bring these men back in from battle? Who was going to keep the camp running? Almost any story, there's always the unsung heroes. There's always the ones that just don't get the mention. Sometimes they fall under categories of some chosen men. Sometimes the categories themselves aren't even mentioned. But in God's plan, every person has a place. And notice this second thing. Every person in its place affects others. Moses. Joshua went out and asked those men to serve with him. Joshua affected them. Their battle affected all of Israel. Aaron and her, they affected the life of Moses. the people that our lives affect. Think about this. I want you to... 
We don't know, and we can't predict how our lives But we know this. When we... We will powerfully affect the lives of others. Every time. And that is what He named the altar. The battle was won. They come home. What do we do? Elders, please don't overlook this point. This isn't a preacher trying to spin a point here. Get this point. What would we do in our American, and even just by our human nature? They come home. They're victorious. It's our first battle. We're the winners. We tend to lift up Moses. Say, look at our, look at our leader. We tend to look, lift up Joshua and say, look at this courageous warrior. Or maybe already some battle stories were being told and someone can mention this soldier or this soldier that, that risked so much to help. In and we lift those. Who was lifted up? The battle's over in Moses. We're building an altar. And we're going to name it. The Lord is our banner. I believe you could ask any of them that day, after Moses set that example, you could have asked any of them that day, who gave you that battle? And they wouldn't have said Moses. They wouldn't have said Joshua. They would have said the Lord. Soldiers. Lifting up. Lord is our banner. This isn't the elders' church. This isn't the preacher's church. This isn't the longest term members here's church. When we're asked to give and we're asked to sacrifice, thank God we're asked to be a For an eternity, a banner that those that are saved will your group of people so that the population of heaven will be greater. But you know, sometimes our life of service is a little bit vague, and the message is not quite clear that that we communicate. Most of us quickly identify the Confederate flag. Those of you that are historians probably already know that the stainless banner was the second earliest Confederate flag, and it was on a white field with the Southern Cross placed in the top left-hand side. But what they found out was that as their men marched into war, oftentimes it was mistaken as a sign of truce or surrender because there was so much white on the flag. And so they adopted a third flag, and this third flag was similar to the second, except a third of the flag on the fly end of the flag would be placed a wide red bar because the Confederates didn't ever want people to think they were surrendering. I wonder how many of us think we're lifting a banner, but yet the message just isn't clear. 
Ah, oh, you know that family right there, they do so much at the ballpark. Oh, you know, they're so active in community service and Qantas and so on. Oh, you know, that person right there is, we wouldn't have a chamber of commerce if it wasn't for them. Oh, you know, that, that lady, she's the one that... ...shamed if something other than to the Lord. We can't have the Lord's banner in our life and yet have our life more loyal to another cause. What do we do in the Lord's army? The thing we're driving home this morning is we serve. Unmistakably. Dependably. Giving our all. Using our abilities. We serve. Turn to a soldier in battle and ask for his help and him deny you as the enemy is confronting you. And then try to explain how he was a faithful servant as he denies and says, I don't have time. That's not why I'm here. I have other obligations. This morning... Let's think, let's pray, let's study. And let's make sure that our colors are clear and that our heart is true and our banner is the Lord. And nobody, nobody could be mistaken of that. Not because of our goodness, but because of His goodness. We've been redeemed and we're found faithful. This morning, if you're not a part of the Lord's army, now's the time to march under His banner. Now's the time to be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins if you're a believer that's willing to repent of sins and confess before man. If you have been baptized into Christ, but yet your banner hasn't been clear, now's the time to say to your God and to those about you that you want Him to be number one in your life. It's easy to miss priorities, but it's so important to get them right again. Let's leave here this morning marching under the Lord's banner. And if we can help you with that, come as we stand as we sing.